Welcome, dear friends, to the Taviren, a Wheel of Time podcast hosted by three gentlemen for whom the very wheel itself bends around. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Bill, Rob, and Rich. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is the Taviren, a Wheel of Time podcast. My name is Robert, and I will be taking you through chapter 47 of book one, Eye of the World, this chapter entitled More Tales of the Wheel. I am going to be flying solo today. Anybody listening to this in the future? This podcast is being recorded in March of 2020. And if you are listening to this in the future, you now know that March of 2020 will be known as the month of coronavirus. Wanted to let everybody know that my family, Rich's family, and Bill's family are all safe and sound, uh, practicing our social distancing, only going out when needed, and helping out our elders and other uh, immunocompromised friends and family as possible. Today, I'm going to be running this one solo, although there are plans in in place to to record with Rich for the next chapter, chapter 48, and Bill has thrown his hat into the ring to to do a couple solos himself. As you can imagine, in these days, it's kind of, schedules are kind of crazy and hectic, so we're doing the best we can to get at least multiple hosts on the podcast, but I apologize for the week delay uh, missing last week. That I want to put that on my, my plate. I apologize for that, but I'm going to follow solo for chapter 47. When last we left Bill uh, with chapter 46, the gang had made their way through the Waygate and into the city of Faldara, where they met Lord Aglemar, where they learned that Lan apparently has a fan base in Faldara and the Borderlands. More to come on that. The chapter ends with Master Peddler himself, Padden Fane, somehow miraculously making it to Faldara all on his own and scaling the walls of Faldara like a madman. Apparently this was the beggar that Rand came upon in Camelin. Some other more story elements about Master Fane will be coming out of this chapter. Normally at this point in the podcast, we like to go over any iTunes reviews. Unfortunately, we don't have any as of yet. I know that Bill teased the idea of having a no podcast, or I'm sorry, a no podcast review song to punish our listeners with on recordings in which we don't have any new reviews to speak of. And he also pitched the song that is going to be played and who's going to sing it. I like the song. Not sure if it's in my wheelhouse, but but I I did tell Bill I will do my best. This might be something we might want to premiere in our second season when we get to the second book. Give me a chance to uh, perform and practice my vocals for for Bill's proposed no podcast review punishment song. But anyway, as always, feel free to, to, to either email or tweet or, or, or post a review. Let us know what you think. If you like the podcast, if you don't, what can be improved? We're all ears all the time. And our next segment, Wheel of Time News, as will probably be the same response in the next several podcasts, all filming, all productions on all projects across the globe are most likely suspended until the threat of coronavirus has passed. 
And that very squarely falls also into the city of Prague of the Czech Republic and the Wheel of Time uh, production. I think Rafe may have posted a couple interviews that are seen on Twitter. And I think uh, Sarah Nakamura and some of the other castmates, or not cast, but other crew mates, are posting on Twitter. Quarantine, we're bored, this is what we're doing. So kind of kind of the same storyline. It's going to be for the next probably couple of weeks of podcasts. The news is that there is no news. But as always, I hope everybody on that set safe, well wishes, and that everybody is safe and, and makes it to the other side of this coronavirus. Prayers and thoughts to everybody involved. And that will lead into a word from our sponsors. Rich, that's you. You're on. Go. All right. As promised, we are now up to chapter 47. More Tales of the Wheel. This chapter is a lot of um, a backstory building. Not a lot of action. It, it, it picks up immediately where chapter 46 led off. Uh, with Moraine and Padden Fane going off to 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 have a quote unquote discussion. I remember uh, when he first made his appearance in Faldara, Moraine's take was, oh, "He's filthy. Go clean him up, and I'll speak with him afterwards." And after a few minutes of of, of realizing that this is more serious than it apparently apparently seemed, she's like, "No time for a bath. I must talk to him now." And, you know, she goes off and takes him into a separate room, giving him the third degree, finding out his whole story and, and what's been going on in the life and times of Padden Fane since the days of Emmonsfield. Anyway, anticlimactic scene to open up. Everybody's waiting to hear back on pins and needles with what Moraine is able to find out. And I love the opening literary uh, format that Jordan uses. He could have very easily just said, Rand is as bored as anybody else. But instead, he goes into a whole diatribe of Rand is so bored that he was able to count within exactness how many steps it takes to go to the front and back of Lord Aglemar's uh, banquet table. By the way, it's 12 steps for those who were, were tracking. So I, lo- I love it's It's a phrase that I've used before that it's a long way for a little bit. But it's funny, and it absolutely works in this regard. I can see Rand not being able to sit still and just pacing up and down and up and down. And all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, 9, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12, 12 again. Yeah, it must be 12 steps. <laughs> okay. All right, now I'm really bored. It goes on to say Matt and Perrin were also on pins and deals, and they were just as uneasy as Rand. And Loyal spent the times inspecting the walls very intently. I don't know if this is part of an Ogier, uh, you know, examining and respecting the architect, because I believe where they are is in a man-made fortress, not any part of the Ogier steadings or former steadings that were in Faldara. But I, I find it, once again, Jordan could just say everybody was bored. But no, he, he went into a little little ditty about Loyal inspecting the walls very intently. I guess Ogiers have specific powers and what to a human may seem, oh, he's just staring at that wall. Maybe something a little more behind the scenes. Egwain uh, opts to talk with Lord Agilmore and happens to ask about Lan. 
Egwin just happens to, to, to ask Lord Aglemore about land because, as we know, when they entered the uh, city gates of Faldara, uh, Lan had himself a quite quite a um, fan club. They you know, called him Daishan and Lord of the Seven Towers and all this jazz. Apparently, apparently, Lan's big deal up in the up in the borderlands, where we don't know all that. But as Egwin goes to talk to Lord Aglemore, it's almost like a. Everybody stops and is and is trying not to be as blatantly paying attention to the story that that Lord Agamar is about to give. Nynaeve, uh, more than anybody, is more like a very intently just doing something else. But but her ears are absolutely absolutely entranced into what Agamar and Egwin are going to talk about. One of the first little parts of backstory we get in this chapter is the history and the life and times of Alan Mandragoran. Lan is the Lord of the Seven Towers. He's the uncrowned King of Malkir, a land that has been overrun by the Blight. For those who are reading this through the first time, the land of Malkir is, no, I think, north. don't have the map in front of you, but it's at least north, maybe a little northeast of where Faldara is. Uh, I think even Agomar says Faldara originally was not part of the Blight, or not part of the Borderlands, because Malkir was north of it. Malkir was part of the Borderlands. As we now can tell, Malkir has fallen entirely into the Blight, bringing Faldara up to the Borderlands, by default. And he goes into the whole backstory of how Lan came to his titles. The royal line of Malkir has had its share of troubles, and I put on here, not the kind of troubles that Harry and Meghan has, definitely their own kind of troubles. Lan's aunt, uh, Lady, ba Lady Brienne, was jealous that her husband, Lane, was not the king. Story as old as time, I'm the king, the younger brother may be jealous of the older brother getting the kingdom. Even in more recent history, you could talk about uh, the storyline of Thor and Loki and their father Odin, how the younger brother was jealous of the older brother's accolades. Uh, the older brother accepts the duty, but is not seeking it out. He, he accepts it with a uh, moral gratitude and a need to help the people and isn't looking for power. Basic common, common saying, he doesn't seek out power. Instead, power is thrust upon him or greatness is thrust upon him. Dissimilar a story here where we have the king, Al-Akir, that's Lan's birth father. We have Lan's uncle, Lane, who is a great and powerful warrior and, and champion for Malkir. Lane's wife, Brienne, speaking whispers into his ears, you should be the one, you're the more powerful one, the crown should be yours, you should be king, that kind of thing. And is feeding Lane this story about how it should be you, and that's it. And she even goes as far as to dare her husband, Lane, to take a company and march directly against Shai Ogul in an attempt to take the throne from his brother Al-Akir. Personally, I haven't read New Springs. You know, shocker, and, and hopefully this doesn't really upset people. I was going to read New Spring for a first time when we get to that part in the kind of the timeline. So if this history of Malkir is listed in New Spring, I'm coming from a perspective of not reading it. So bear with me if I say some things that seasoned readers of New Spring will just go, well, duh, yeah. 
or if I get it just wrong, trust me, I'm not coming from New Spring. But it seems just an incredible, selfish act that Brienne not only wanted her husband to be bequeathed with so much power, that she puts him directly in harm's way. I mean, maybe she's coming from a place that she wanted to be the queen more than her husband to be king. She concocts this plan of to to dare my husband into literally just marching in to the eye of the beast directly onto Shia Ghul. Uh, it was a valiant effort, but, but Lane's company fell fighting their way through the blight. He wasn't prepared. He was probably working in a frenzied, frenzied uh, fervor based on his wife's preachings to him. But in the end, Chiogul and the Blight was just too much, and they overtook Lane and his company and just decimated it. And to continue on with the uh, craziness, Brianne blamed King Al-Akir for her husband's death. Whether she said he didn't do enough to protect him or... or he should have marched beside his brother into Shiogul. She began plotting with a dark friend, a dark friend by the name of Cohen Fairheart. Together, the two of them were able to manipulate the military forces of Malkir and to pull forces back from the frontal defense of the borderlands. Malkir's front northern border to the Blight, where the most action would be seen, they were able to pull back some of the some of the manpower they had without Al Alkir's knowledge. Malkir was exposed and Trollocs and Fades just invaded and flooded into the city of Malkir, into the country of Malkir. This crippled defense, plus the loss of Lane, the champion, and his company in an in an epic defeat, plus the dealings of of Lady Brienne and, and this uh, dark friend Cohen all just compiled itself in together. Al-Akir and, and his wife, the Queen, knew the end was near. They knew they saw the writing on the walls. Malkir was literally crumbling and being disintegrated in front of them. And the land was going to be overwrought by all denizens of the Dark One. So the King and the Queen, fearing the worst, took their son land. And had the baby sent, a newborn land, uh, sent to the city of Falmoran. Land was given an ancient Malkir blade and named Daishan, the, the next king. One of his last acts, uh, regal acts, King Al-Akir, bequeathed the throne to his son, Land. And I think the way they worded it is, once you become the regal king, once you become the king, your name gets the honorific A-L in front of it. So Lan becomes formally Al-Lan. And he was given an ancient Malkir blade that, you know, they said fit in the baby's hand. And he's had that blade with him since since birth and was named Daishan. And the, and the full title was he was named Daishan, King and Battle Lord of Malkir. The story was that he went with 20 of, of uh, Malkir's strongest and most virulent warriors and I, I forget the exact number, but they fell upon Trollocs and, and Fades and other dark friends on the path to Falmoran. And two or three, maybe up to five of those warriors survived. And Falmoran took on the um, task of raising Lan and, and making him aware of his birthright 
and of the duty bequeathed upon him by his family. Not an easy task. You are a king. Your country is literally decimated and ruined into blight by the Dark One himself. But legends say that there will be a time where the golden crane could fly, the sigil of the Mandragoran family in Malkir. Unfortunately, as we found out from one of the earlier chapters, uh, Lan has decided to take up arms against evil and the Dark One, but not necessarily as, as he was prophesied to be or as he was bequeathed to be by his father by taking the golden crane banner and rising Malkir from the ashes. He's going to follow Maureen Sedai and this prophecy that she's following and help defeat the Dark One that way. So in his mind, he's doing the same thing. He's just going about it a different way. And we'll learn later quotes from Lan. Burden, the burden is a mountain. He truly feels that the burden will never be lifted until your last breath. And like I said, these are some other quotes that are paraphrasing of quotes that Lan will have later on in this book or series. But it is a heavy it is a heavy toll on a person to know that you are you are the rightful heir to a desecrated land. There are people, refugees in other countries from your from your land, hoping that you will rise again and bring and bring glory back to the land of Malkir. So after Aglomar's story, he ends, and the one comment I have here is I don't think Nynaeve has ever so intently studied a cup of tea in her life. Because as Aglemore was going through the whole story, Nynaeve kept her eyes bared on that teacup. Not moving, not, not moving her eyes, not moving at all. But you can tell her ears are hyper-focused on the story of Lan. And we'll come to see why that is specifically. But it's also very interesting because up until now... Outside of calling, you know, Rand a sheep herder or, or yelling at Matt how stupid he is, he's been a man of very few words. This gives us a bit of backstory, and we can understand why he's a hardened man who doesn't say a lot because he is carrying just almost literally the weight of an entire nation on his shoulders. So as he was finishing with Agal- as Agamar was finishing with the story. That's when Maureen finally comes back after her quote-unquote one-on-one with, with Padden Fane. This is where we come into the second major story where we learn what has been happening with Master Peddler since, well, even before, uh, I think it was chapter four, chapter three, when when uh, we were introduced to Padden Fane. So from what Maureen can, can deduce or what she has learned, the first thing she does say is that her magic was able to um, pull truth from him. So she would be able to tell if he lied or not. And during their conversation, he never lied. But she did feel that there were truths that she was unable to unable to uncover. He gave her truths, but he was still very guarded. Even, even amongst the strongest magic that she was able to, to give him, to get him to try and divulge information, he still was able to keep things guarded from her. So Fane has been a dark friend for over 40 years, he is the one responsible specifically for the Trollocs and Fades attacking Emmons Field uh, that night before Beltine. 40 years. I don't know how old Padden Fane is exactly. 40 years is insane because 
literally up until this moment or the moment that he arrived in Faldara, the Emmons fielders had no idea. He'd come every year. Back then, it was a big event when the peddler came to town because he came with all kinds of goods and, and crafts and different wares, but he came with the stories of the outside, and he was their main information as far. He was their main social network. No one comes to the Two Rivers or comes to Emmons Field on a regular basis from the outside world except the peddler. He comes every bell time, and he comes with news about what's happening. No one suspected anything, and this guy has been a dark friend for 40 years. Once again, emphasizing the fact and the hopelessness around the fact that a dark friend could be anyone. Anyone, anywhere, anyhow. This guy, this guy had been fooling an entire town for years. And they had no clue. Fane had been ordered by the Dark One directly to locate three Emmonsfield boys for the last three years. So about three years ago, Fades came upon Fane or Kevin's came upon Padden Fane and took him directly to Shaogul and Balzaman. This wasn't a, hey, the boss has a message for you. This is, hey, you're coming with us. The boss wants a face-to-face. Just thinking about that, I mean, how terrifying are the dreams that Ranbat and Perrin have? Well, that's nothing. Fane is being taken to his place, sat down directly across from him, and Balzaman's like, this is how it is. This is what you got to do. I'm going to fuck with your shit. You need to do this. As we know, as we kind of were gathering when the boys left Evans Field, somewhere in the Two Rivers area were three boys of a certain age that knew each other. The prophecy happened X amount of years ago. Fast forward to where Thane is in life and after he talks to Balzaman, he has to find three boys in the same village of the same age. And it takes him... A couple years, you know, first year he's checking Terran Ferry, he's checking Watch Hill, he's, he's checking all the other places. Next year, maybe settles down and, oh, maybe it's in Emmons Field. All right, well, okay. There's a lot of a lot of kids around here, and then uh, the Ibarra boy and the Cothon boy and that Randall Thor. They're kind of, they're, you know what? They're kind of buddies, and they're, they're kind of in the right age range. So after about two, actually, that's what it was, two or three visits, once again, completely working over the crowd. They have no idea. Fane not only had been a dark friend, but he had been working directly with Balzaman. No one suspected a thing. It's very chilling how even the scene in um, Berlon where Rand sees Padden Fane and he doesn't understand why he's acting so weird. And he's like, hey, Mr. Fane, it's it's me, Rand, from Emmett's Field. You, I can help you. Come on, come with me. I, I got. We can help you out. Rand had no idea then too, and Padden was even starting to be a little crazy. And we'll we'll find out what happened at that point in the story. And you know, as as Egwin and and, and Nynaeve and the boys were thinking back, they're like, "Wow, two years ago, he was perfectly fine. We didn't suspect a thing." Three Beltines ago was when he was first trying to discern where the boys were. So he was going between the different two river cities. Two bell times ago, he narrowed it down to Emmons Field and was able to, at that time, work out who the three people were. And then this past bell time is when he marked the houses and he told the Trollocs and Kevins, you know, those three guys, go get them. And it was very chilling and very, oh my God, I 
spoke with this man. I shaked his hand. I bought stuff from him. Oh my, it's very chilling how easily they got duped by Padden Fane. Once again, we're still on book one, so it's still very, very early in these character arcs. But this is kind of one little plot point here I'm thinking of. This is kind of the one of the first times that at least like Nynaeve and Egwene and the boys too realize how country bumpkin they were. Now they're, you know, people of the world. They've gone to all different kinds of, you know, Barillon, Camelon, Faldar. They've gone and seen the cities of the world. But now they're looking back into how they were with the first couple last years with Pat and Fane. And it's like, oh, my God, we were clueless. I think the fact that they realized how clueless they were then is, is good character building and a little bit of a hardening that the Emmons Fielders needed as they start to progress out into the other books and other uh, towns and, and, and cities that they visit. So after the failure of Emmonsfield, failure meaning all three boys made it out safely. The Trollocs and Fades literally went 0 for 3. They weren't expecting to have a warder and a an, uh, fully fledged Aes Sedai protecting them. So the numbers that they brought weren't big. And I mean, I think what we realized was that if they knew that there was a warder and an Aes Sedai at Emmons Field at Beltine, they would have brought bigger numbers. But they brought just enough that they thought would be enough, but were forced back. So after the failure at Emmons Field, somehow, someway, Fane was blamed for this. How, how that was, I don't know. But, you know, the Dark One works in mysterious ways. So he was point-blank blamed, and he was forced to travel with the Dark One's minions after the boys. As the boys were making their way to Terran Ferry and being chased by everybody, Fane was forced to run with the Trollocs and Fades, which you know couldn't have been pleasant. The big scene when the boys and the party escaped via the Terran Ferry, as we know, large bodies of water freak out Trollocs and Fades. They stopped. They couldn't cross the Terran. They sent Fane after him. Because, you know, Fane's a dark friend, not a not, you know, a Trolloc or a Fade. He was able to cross the Terran to continue chasing after the boys. And the thought was, all right, well, you go, you go get them. And you'll meet, we'll meet you up or you'll meet another group of uh, Trollocs and Fades. But you go chase after those boys. Fane escaped again, thinking, <laughs> idiots, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to run away. He crosses the Terran and kind of makes his own way in a different direction. Screw you guys. I'm going home. That didn't last long for he was recaptured by another fist of Trollocs. Apparently the Kevin that ran this Trolloc doubled up his torture. I think one of the uh, things they had him do was sleep in a kettle or a cauldron as a scare tactic, but to uh, say, well, in case we get hungry, we'll just, we already have you in the cooking pot, so we'll, we'll just have you sleep here. So he had to sleep doubled up on himself in a cooking pot as a reminder of how, of how quickly they can change how important he is. So by Camelin, at this rate, he's running. He's not allowed a horse. Of course, he's not going to be allowed a horse. The only time he got to rest, I think, is when he literally collapsed and was unable to be moved. Then when he's sleeping, he's sleeping in a freaking cooking pot. So by the time they get to Camelin or the Camelin area, Fane had it. He was so fed up, he escaped again. But the crazy thing about this, instead of saying... I can't do this. I'm going home. 
He could not shake the Dark One's compulsion for him to clo- chase the Emmons fielders into the ways. So as we know, everybody or all the Dark Dark One's minions made it to the outskirts of Camelon. Obviously, they're not allowed in Camelon. From what Mulrane gathered, being the usage of her magic or or Matt's dagger being out and about, showing a beacon in Camelon. Everybody knew the guys were in Camelon. Large numbers of Trollocs and Fays were stationed just outside the gates of Camelon. So they made it through the ways to escape that. Fane escapes, again, the Trollocs and the Fades, and escapes into Camelon. Trollocs and Fades weren't going to go through the ways, but Fane found himself unable to, to break himself of the compulsion of the Dark One, wanting these three so bad. So he literally made his way into the ways. Now, how he got in... I don't know. That's not really explained well. I mean, it seems that Moraine took every precaution to keep him, or just to keep from being followed. He was there. He was in the ways. As you can remember, the one scene, the one funny scene, where Lan says, I think we're being followed, and Matt instinctively just turns around and fires an arrow into the darkness. That was Pat and Fane, most likely. Fane was the something, quote-unquote, Lan had sensed following them while in the ways. You can also think, how did he get in? Well, you can also think, how did he get out? Because he did. Because within a day of them making Faldara, Padden Fane there himself was also climbing the walls of Faldara. And as we know, the party narrowly escaped the Black Wind. And Fane followed them out somehow. What did Machin Shin do with Thane? We'll find out later down the line, but just let's let's bullet point some of the things about Padden Fane. He's been a dark friend for 40 years. The majority of that could have been like a low level. You know, as I as I've talked about before, there could be varying levels of dark friends, and he's probably worked his way through the ranks doing whatever deceitful things he had to do. Dark friend for 40 years. Personally chosen by Balsamon to be brought to him in person and given the task of finding the three boys of this prophecy. Taking three years working this dark quest to finding the right three people in the right place. Orchestrating an at the time unprecedented Trollic strike on a town so far south of the Blight. Being called upon to be the one person that can chase after them across the Terran. Escaping the Trollocs and the Fades. Being recaptured and being tortured in ways that are just insane. Make it into Camelin. Believe that you've escaped again. However, finding that you are completely overtaken with the Dark Ones, with the need to fulfill Balsamon's wishes. Going into the ways. Once again, against your will, the over the overarching need to, to please your master takes over. Attempting to make your way out of the ways, but are overtaken by the Black Wind. 
and you are not killed. We don't know all about what the Black Wind entails, besides what maybe Ran and the others heard when Moraine was firing magic into it, and it was saying those, you know, flay the skin, peel the skin, taste the blood, all that kind of dark and, 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 and messed up things to say. Well, logically speaking, the Black Wind was descending upon the Emmonsfield party as they were leaving the ways. Padden Fane made it through that same exit somehow. He had to have encountered the Black Wind in some way or manner. It had to have taken him, but didn't kill him. Most likely did something worse. That's like six or seven bullet points of what I've just listed. Padden Fane is just a bad dude. And Moraine is real Moraine realized that before. You know, at first she didn't realize how deep it went, then. No, there's no time for a bath. I got to talk to him now. Then she realized there's darkness and, and evil that's deeper than I can suspect. And he was even able to, to withhold information from her. Whatever's got a hold of Pad and Fane is dark, evil, and strong. The chapter ends with Lord Agalmar trying to haggle with Moraine. He realizes that they're on a quest to, to see the Green Man and the Eye of the World and they need to go into the Blight. But Lord Agomar's take is, we know the Blight. My guys know the Blight. Let me give you a hundred of my best men, and they can accompany you out there, keep you guys safe, and get you to where you want to go. And Moraine is like, no, we, don't, we can't do that. We can't, it, it, it has to be these guys. It has to be just us. It has to be tomorrow morning. There's no, no way to draw attention to ourselves. One thing I will mention is, one of the, is another one of those things that our main characters, our Emmonsfielders, are, are learning. Agomar was like, listen, no offense to, to, to these boys here. They, they look like fine, able young men, but they don't know the blight. You got to let me bring some people with you. Uh, Maureen then says, these young men have more than are more than you understand. Uh, the old blood runs deep. Or Manetherin. Agomar goes, oh, these boys are from Manetherin. Well, then the blood does run deep. They're stronger than I thought. And I think that was a good little side side little uh, story there. Because if I was Rand or Matt or Perrin and I heard Agomar give me a little bit of a nod of respect simply from I was the old blood of Manetherin. Because remember, before this, before this book began, before this story began, those boys never heard of that country or what the metal of people from their land are, are like. So now they're realizing that the name Manatherin holds some cachet, even from lords of the borderlands. But that is the end of this chapter. Our next chapter is going to be simply titled The Blight. And everybody starts to make their way to the final, to the final showdown of book one. As I mentioned, this is a, it's a good backstory chapter. Like I said, this is basically just two main story, two two backstories. We get the story of of Alan Mandragoran, and we get the story of Pad and Fane. We get these two stories, and then a little bit of setup that Moraine is still hell bent on only bringing the normal party into the Blight. With that, we will now go into readings with Rob. And now, the Taviren present to you readings with Rob. Chapter 47. More Tales of the Wheel. Leave these young men here, Aes Sedai. 
I swear to you that I can find three experienced men with no thought of glory in their heads to replace them. Good swordsmen who are almost as handy in the blight as Lan. Let me ride to the gap knowing that I have done what I can to help you be victorious. I must take them and no others, Lord Agelmar, Marain said gently. They are the ones who will fight the battle at the eye of the world. Agelmar's jaw dropped, and he stared at Rand and Matt and Perrin. Suddenly, the Lord of Faldara took a step back, his hand groping unconsciously for the sword he never wore inside the fortress. They, they aren't... Uh, you, you are not Redaja, Marain said I. But surely not even you would... Sudden sweat glistened on his shaven head. They are Tarviren, Marain said soothingly. The pattern weaves itself around them. Already the Dark One has tried to kill each of them more than once. Three Tarviren in one place are enough to change the life around them as surely as a whirlpool changes the path of a straw. When the place is the eye of the world, the pattern might weave even the father of lies into itself and make him harmless again. Agelmar stopped trying to find his sword, but he still looked at Rand and the others doubtfully. Marines to die. If you say they are, then they are. But I cannot see it. Farm boys, are you certain I said I? The old blood, Marate said, spit out like a river breaking into a thousand times a thousand streams, but sometimes streams join together to make a river again. The old blood of Manetherin is strong and pure in almost all these young men. Can you doubt the strength of Manetherin's blood, Lord Agelmar? Rand glanced sideways at the Aes Sedai. Almost all. He risked a look at Nynaeve. She turned back to watch as well as listen, though she still avoided looking at Lan. He caught the wisdom's eye. She shook her head. She had not told the Aes Sedai that he was not from the Two Rivers born. What does Marain know? Manetherin, Agelmar said slowly, nodding. I would not doubt that blood. Then more quickly. The wheel brings strange times. Farm boys carry the honor of Manetherin into the blight. Yet if any can strike a fell blow at the Dark One, it would be the blood of Manetherin. It shall be done as you wish, I said I. Then let us go to our rooms, Marain said. We must leave with the sun, for time grows short. The young men must sleep close to me. Time is too short before the battle to allow the Dark One another strike at them. Too short. Rand felt her eyes on him, studying him and his friends, weighing their strength, and he shivered. Too short. That was Readings with Rob. If there's a passage in an upcoming chapter you wish to have read on the podcast, Simply tweet us at TavirenPod with your request. That was Readings with Rob. Uh, I did take the piece at the end, uh, the last bit of that chapter. That includes Lord Agomar giving the, uh, gives a nod to the boys, knowing that now they are of the old blood of Manetherin, and a little more respect. Respect from a lord of the borderlands goes a long way.
Do you know that there are like a dozen different ways that you can reach out to us? I bet you did, but I'm going to read. I'm going to mention them anyway. We have Twitter at TavirenPod. We have email TavirenPod at gmail.com. If you want to hit up my compadre separately, Bill is Matunica and Rich is HailBlue1569. We have YouTube. If you want to listen to our videos with a little bit of a video um, screen cap with a little bit of Easter eggs hidden in there, I know that the guys over at the Probably Network do a great job for that. You can check us out. Search Taviren Pod or just search Wheel of Time or Taviren at YouTube. Links to all this will be below, of course. I know that we have Discord. Discord has been picking up a little bit. I know that some of our uh, Discord uh, mates are now into the second and third books of the series. There is there's discussions to be had, not just with following us, but if you want to talk with with something that happens in the third book. Oh, there's a new character that the boys have that the boys in the podcast haven't talked about yet, but maybe uh, maybe one of the other guys can can uh, give me their thoughts on on some other random people. Discord is the best place for that. We have Patreon. If you want to be able to help us make this a really good podcast, the best that can, best that we can make it, check out our Patreon. There's different levels of, of of patronage that you can put. I know Bill set that up. He has you know his purple agile. There's a fist. There's a trollic level. And I, I for, there's a bunch out there. Bill was really diligent about that. Also, there's Redbubble uh, merchandising. You can get our lovely Yin Yang logo on a mug or a mouse pad or a sticker or a sweatshirt. Bill is really pimping us out. I guess between Bill and his uh, Patreon and Redbubble and Rich and his uh, spokesman job, I guess I need to pick up the slack here and, and do some pimping myself. Anyway, I wanted to say thank you to everybody. This has been Rob from Taviren, wishing you the best, wishing you all the best, and wishing you all healthy and safe times during these times of uncertainty. My thoughts and prayers are with you all. Thank you very much. Guys, take care. Have a good one. Do you like history? Have you ever tried eating a corned beef sandwich in zero gravity? Are you a fan of emus? Do you long for a simpler time when the world's greatest global crisis involved horse manure? If the answer to any of these questions was no, then we have the podcast for you. Epic Fails of History. The podcast that delves into the most epic fails of, um, history. Now I am become death. The destroyer of worlds. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So, speaking of Nazis, who would win a fight between Teddy Roosevelt and Benedict Arnold? It's <laughs> kind of horrifying, actually. Everybody just knows the Hindenburg from that guy. Oh, the humanity! Isn't that so Florida? You're part of an animal. You're welcome. <laughs> that is until they realized that a depth charge had simply rolled off of the deck. At what point do you realize it was like, oh, that was me? We're eating a corned beef sandwich in zero G. Uh, unfortunately, the zero G part really kicked in. So yeah. this is about what 1927. In real life, this guy would like, I need a drink, and they passed the prohibition, so I can't drink. And he like accidentally burned down one of the oldest cities in the world. That was definitely a fail, and just like a sad <laughs> point. <laughs> Floating nuclear power plants. 
Those words don't go together. We're going to talk about the late Victorian manure crisis. That's yeah. hot garbage. Pretty wretched. Kill the Kaiser, boy. What are the chances? Accidentally shoot artillery. I I just want to know what exactly was going on on this ship. Well, that's not concerning at all. I'm not great at math, but so you're like, oh great. Well, now I'm certainly going to die of hypothermia. And there's wolves and bears. You know, think about some interesting For story sure. that results in terrible destruction. This that is what this podcast is about. Epic feels. <laughs> Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We've got more random tales of fail coming your way, so stay tuned for more epic fails of history. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com.